We have passed many tests recently where we were questioned uh, the first time we didn't win away from home at Man City and things like that. We have passed many tests and we have another another test on Sunday that we want to pass. And I think that's the sound of the final whistle. It is four goals and the goals obviously crucial. Good game of football, cock over the line. Nobody will be getting excited. It's an opportunity more than likely to play the dubs in two weeks time. The last day against Donegal. A lot of things work well, but uh, you'd have to say the concession of 19 points wasn't good enough. And uh, you know that's something that we've been working hard over the last couple of weeks trying to trying to sort out. And um, and hopefully on Sunday, um, you know, we'll be a lot tighter at the back. Well, the referee has blown the full-time whistle, and by the skin of their teeth, Dublin have reached the Allianz League final. Football, football um, great GA County, and uh, you know it's going to be a really good game and a great challenge for the Dublin football team. And, and we'll know exactly where we are with five weeks ago to the championship opposition we're in having, having taken on the challenge of Cork when it comes to tonight I think it will be the all reliables I think Chris Henry's battle with Sean O'Brien is going to be really important you know it'll be and I think the, the importance of Franco van der Merwe who replaced Johan Muller who's not a flashy second row but alongside Dan Tui, that that's a strong unit in that second row they run a strong line out they have they have a uh, you know a real grit to them. and I think that they're just they're all around yeah. very little weakness in that team This is a Rewind Big Weekend special on News Talk. I'm Oisín Langan. In there, you heard from Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger ahead of their clash with Chelsea on Sunday, which is live on News Talk, while we'll also bring you the build-up to tonight's Pro 12 derby between Ulster and Leinster. We'll preview the Allianz League finals with Jim Gavin and Brian Cuthbert, along with Irish Daily Star GA correspondent Carlo Kane. First, though, it is the rugby. It's a huge night for Leinster. They take on Ulster in Kingspan Stadium. Tomorrow, by the way, Connacht hosting the Warriors in Munster welcome Treviso. Irish Independent rugby correspondent Rory O'Connor joined me to discuss all of those games plus the future of Paul O'Connell. But we started by talking about Leinster and the size of the task they face to actually reach the playoffs. It all starts the final phase of the season, that is, in Ravenhill tonight. Yeah, it's a big weekend, Oshina. Maybe the last competitive you know, weekend of the uh, of the Guinness Pro 12 regular season if Ulster beat Leinster tonight um, you know, that would leave Leinster with just too much to do they already have a very very difficult task five day turnaround having played you know, the Euro- two time European champions last Sunday um, facing an Ulster team who will be fresh who will be confident after their win over Connacht uh, two weeks ago you know, who are looking very good so um, you're right. You know it's going to be the whole weekend. Will you know the tension over the next couple of weeks will be decided on whether Le- uh, Leinster can get a result up in Ravenhill. And they have to be quite fatigued going into this game. I mean, even if they make changes, and no matter who they play, Leinster five days of a turnaround between this game tonight and that game last week against Toulon. It's it, it's not really a whole pile, is it? No, and and they have to go big tonight. They have to they have to put everything into it, but. You know, when it gets to the fifty, sixty minute mark, those hundred minutes last weekend is going to really, really, you know, is is, is going to have an effect. You can, you can, it can't not have an effect. I mean, there's a lot to be said for playing matches on a week to week basis, but when you're going to extra time against that that team, the size that Toulon have, the the kind of game that was, it is definitely going to have a, have an effect on the legs. Now, Leinster do have a very strong twenty three. They should be able to, you know, to to uh, you know to use their bench very well. They, they, there's very little weakness there, but at the same time. You know the, the the really important players are going to have a lot of a lot of mileage under them, so it's going to be quite tough for them. Ulster are in very good form coming into this. They're hitting the peak at what you might call the wrong time, and I say the wrong time because they would have liked to have hit this peak earlier in the season in the Champions Cup in the pool stages and poor performances against Toulon and Leicester really cost them. But look, they're in with the chance of winning the Pro 12, so in some ways it's the right time. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, injuries didn't help earlier in the season. I, I suppose the the big summer of change left them in a kind of in a very strange place at the start of the season. And Neil Douglas had a difficult job to do, considering he's going to be you know replaced or at least you know with Leskis coming above him next season. So it was a very difficult you know way to start the season. It was you know Europe came on them very quickly and it, they did struggle. But I think the fact that they they haven't won anything in this kind of era of they've had a renaissance, but they haven't actually capped it with a trophy. I mean, Johan Muller last year before he left, kind of lamenting how Leinster had had the, the Indian sign over them over the last couple of years and um, that they, they, they've they produced a lot of really big performances they've produced a really good team but they haven't capped that team with with, with a trophy and the fact that the Guinness Pro 12 final is going to be in the Kingsman Stadium this year it just presents such an opportunity you know the the, the tickets are, are sold out and, and predominantly sold to Ulster people you know locals have bought them up and in big supply and expectation that Ulster will get there they've come so close in, in the Pro 12 over the last couple of years they got to a Heineken Cup final and were you know beaten out the gate by Leinster in the final um, but you know this is a real opportunity for Ulster the, 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 they're you know, Leinster have been the, the kingpins in this, in this uh, tournament over the last couple of years but Ulster looked to have the strongest squad left Glasgow will be tough you know, there are good teams left in it, but this is their chance. Tommy Bow, Rory Best, Chris Henry, they're the obvious names for Ulster. But who's impressed that perhaps isn't a household name yet, who isn't a regular in the Irish squatter starting 15? Well, I think it's one guy who, you know, who was a household name a couple of years ago, but possibly hasn't kicked on, is Craig Gilroy, who's had a really, really good season and hasn't got the international reward. Um, you know, he's a guy who Mark Anscombe didn't seem to fancy him. He, he found, found himself out of favour. I suppose when you've got Andrew Trimble and Tommy Bowe competing against, mm. your, against you for those wing slots, it's hard. But he scored a lot of tries. He looks lightning quick. He's he's a, a player who, who excites people, who gets you know player, gets fans in the door. And he's had a really, really strong season. I think Paddy Jackson is having another guy who's kind of fallen out of the international winner list, now partly because of injury this season. Mm. But I think he's playing his way into the World Cup squad at this stage. I think he's looking really sharp against Connacht he just had this ability to spot weakness you know he'd spot a, a second row on the wing and he'd get the ball there as quickly as possible on turnover ball and you know he, Tommy Bowen and Craig Gilroy scored the tries that day but really Paddy Jackson was just pulling the strings um, they've, a, they've a, kind of a coterie of centres who are doing really well uh, you know I think you know Stuart McCluskey's a really good player Olding's injured at the moment but they, they, they seem to have a real strength and depth in that area um, but I think when it comes to tonight I think it will be the all reliables I think Chris Henry's battle with Sean O'Brien is going to be really important you know it'll be and I think the the importance of Franco van der Merwe who replaced Johan Muller who's not a flashy second row but alongside Dan Tui, that that's a strong unit in that second row they run a strong line out they have they have a uh, you know a real grit to them, and I think that they're just they're all around. Yeah. There's very little weakness in that team. Their bench can be a little light, um, particularly with Declan Fitzpatrick retired around the prop area. That you know they don't have the same co- same quality of replacement. They've yet to recover from the loss of a forward, don't they? Yeah, I think well, VM Hurst has been good when he's been fit, and he's a good he's a, like he's a project player. He's a young South African. He's got a huge size, and he has been good when he's fit. But there is a lack of depth in those you know prop areas. I think losing Tom Court and John Afoa in one fell swoop was very difficult, um, and I think that's what possibly cost him in Europe in in a big way. You know, the, their depth in that area. They've a lot of players. I think there's a lot of players leaving Ulster this year. You know, squad players who've mm. been there for a long time and never made the breakthrough. And I think with Les Kiss coming through, it's it's a province where there's a lot of reason to be to be hopeful over the next couple of years. But if they can keep Herbst on the field for as long as possible, they've got a really good chance. And I left out Jared Payne when I was mentioning the household names in the Ulster squad. Will Leinster bring the same game plan as they did to Toulon last week? I don't think so because I think the game in Toulon was very much predicated on the fact that it lashed rain all morning in, in, in Marseille. 
Um, and I think the game plan was very restricted as a result. And also, I don't think you don't, you have to play against Ulster in the same way that you play against Toulon because Toulon have such size, such experience, and so many threats across their back line. Ulster are a really good team, but there's very few teams like Toulon out there. Ulster are not at that level. In the Pro 12, I think Leinster can dictate more. The problem with Leinster is their um, their game plan has been very limited this season, and we've yet to see them really, really catch fire. A lot of talk about Matt O'Connor and his position and it's it's something we're not used to really doing in rugby. We don't do this, certainly not as much as we do in football. And that's not to say we shouldn't do it, but does their ending of the pro season campaign, whether or not they reach the playoff spots, have a big bearing on Matt O'Connor's future? Or do you think it'll be a case that, look, no matter what happens, he's there next season and rightfully so, maybe he needs to bring in a backs coach, maybe he needs to look at other options playing-wise. Of course, he's, he's you know got guys coming back. Johnny Sexton would be a, a, a huge fill-up, uh, as will the return of Issa Nathiwa, who might play a kind of a role in, in a backs coaching sense. But what do you think of all that? Well, I, I think that, you know, the Leicester fans are unhappy. There's definitely been a sense that there's been unhappiness amongst a, a large, or certainly a vocal contingent um, of Leinster fans and they're, and they're entitled to be unhappy because there has been some regression but I don't think it's all come down to the coach I think he's hampered by the amount of access he has to his top players and I wonder if you know the, the, the retirements and the departures after Joe Schmidt left force players up and I'm not sure if the next level of players down is quite as good as that level and, and there is a really good academy there but I think there's a little bit of a lag, there's a bit of a gap, and and that's cost Matt O'Connor big time in, in the Pro 12 this season. I mean, they lost twice against the Dragons this year. That's a, that's unacceptable mm-hmm. for Leinster, really. And there's been a few of those kind of results over the course of the season. There has been a regression um, this this year, but I think the, the man was given a three-year contract and he's probably entitled to to see out that three years. And I think the decision on Matt O'Connor's tenure will be made next season when he's had Johnny Sexton back and when he's had three years to instigate his, his ideas, the players speak, you know, I, I've repeated this a couple of times, but the players do speak very highly of him and it's not lip service. They, they, they it's not just speak. we're saying this in public because no, we I have to be seen so. to. Okay. Because you can say, there's, there's ways and means of doing stuff. Yeah. You can back your coach without backing him and, and they've, you know, they've brought it up apropos of nothing in, in, in different interviews. They've definitely been very supportive, very strong, you know, and, and I think that that, that that has to come across at some stage in their performances. I think they gave a very doughty courageous display in Toulon but there was major aspects missing that ultimately cost them and that's O'Connor's challenge is to add those it's, it's all about the backline play and you're, I think Leinster fans will be praying and O'Connor will be will be hoping that the, the return of Sexton you know plus Nisewa mm. who had massive question marks he hasn't played in, in so long but will add that little bit of spark to the backline Now let's talk about uh, a big game for Connacht on Saturday afternoon it kicks off at 5 past 1 they're up against Glasgow Warriors they're still 6th but it's it's looking shaky at the moment, isn't it? It it is, and it, they have the worst running of the three teams going for it, the Scarlets and and uh, and Edinburgh. And Edinburgh are riding high after reaching the Challenge Cup semi final, or sorry, the Challenge Cup final last weekend with a really comprehensive win. So really, Connacht need to stay in control of their own destiny, or at least put themselves massively in the frame by beating Glasgow. I don't think we're going to be adding any bonus points. They showed against. They showed in all their Irish derbies that at the sports ground. Um, they're a match for anyone. They're a really, really good team. Against Ulster, they, they they dominated Ulster, and but they switch off. And the problem is when they switch off, good teams like Ulster and Glasgow punish them. They have to they have to to cut out those errors, cut out those moments. And without some of their leading lights who are out for the season, there's another raft of injuries this this week. You'd be worried about them. But they have the capacity to beat Glasgow. They can beat any team in this league on a one off day. And they've lost four in a row. They're due a win, and you know they've had two weeks to prepare for this. As of Glasgow, mm. they're at home. 
you know they, they, they've got a, they've got a really good chance you know they, they, if they beat one of the two big teams they're playing Glasgow or the Ospreys and then go to Zebra and win they've put themselves they've, they've probably have done it as much as they can you know I think this is the one they need to win to just give themselves the momentum We spoke earlier in the season and you said look Mills Mulyaina is an important player but Bundy Aki is, is really the key and, and him and Henshaw's centre partnership that is vital for Connacht they played together in the Ulster game and one might argue that a season or two ago they mightn't have got anything out of that game let alone a losing bonus point and they looked like a couple of guys who could really form a formidable partnership and due to various reasons they haven't played an awful lot together this season but they've had a couple of weeks to work together ahead of this game against Warriors how important is that for Connacht? Well I'd argue that if, if Munster had Bunyaki and Robbie Henshaw in their centre partnership they got out, would have got out of their European pool they're that good yeah. so they're really really important and I think of the three New Zealanders signed certainly Mullina has proved to be the least important by a mile because Tom McCartney has been very important as well those those two can create anything they're as strong as any centre partnership going uh, it, it, possibly in European rugby they're, you know, it's, it's a really exciting when they're on the pitch together you can see they're starting to dovetail together starting to, to understand what one another are doing Aki ring, brings a real physicality he brings a, a bit of bit of edge you know he he sometimes crosses the line, but you know that's okay. You know he's it shows his commitment. It shows how up for it he is. And and Henshaw's a touch of class, who's kind of still finding his feet after the Six Nations. You know he was a little bit out of the game in Gloucester, and again against Ulster he wasn't as involved. I think in the twelve jersey or in the thirteen jersey he's still kind of finding his way again, having spent so long in twelve. But I think if they can get the ball in their those two guys' hands, a lot of it will come down to the the you know. The, the performance of of the those inside them and the, the ability of the pack to win the ball against Glasgow and then the, the halfbacks to find them because if you give those guys good ball they're going to do damage in any game and Glasgow will be will be well warned about it like Glasgow have good centres themselves but that's the key to Connacht I think is getting you know at least parity in the forwards and they've gotten that their their, their set piece is really good and if you give good ball to those two players they'll do damage. Is this season a complete bust for Connacht if they don't get sixth? No, I think. Six has become the be-all and end-all for them all season. But I wonder, you know, has it almost... You know, considering where they've come from, they were really... They, they had a lot of bad results mm. last year. They've had a lot of big wins this year. I, I don't think it's a write-off. It'll be a real disappointment because they've done so much and they've been there for so long and they got themselves in that position with their early season form. But I don't think it would be a disaster if they didn't make it. It would be a disappointment and it possibly would put Henshaw's place at, you know, decision to stay you know whether to stay or go it may tip the balance does it really make that much of a difference because let's face it Connacht will be unlikely I'd love to see them do it and you know I'm a big fan of Pat Lamb but they'd be unlikely to get out, get out of their pool anyway so so should Robbie Henshaw not be looking and saying I want to play with a team that can win the Champions Cup well, I suppose that, that that's, a, that's an interesting point I, I suppose to be there first you've you got to yeah. build and if you're a part of something that you can see definitive progress year on year they've been in the Heineken Cup Twice. They've gotten a couple of results without ever looking like qualifying from the pool. But I suppose unless they're there, they can't progress. And I suppose that's the, the progression from last season to this season would be that they get sixth and they get into Europe. And next season, they can go and 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 have an assault, a bit, a bit of a go on Europe hmm. while trying to consolidate. And that's difficult because there are clubs in France that don't want to be in the Champions Cup because it has too much of an impact on their league season and it, it puts them towards the relegation end. And I wonder maybe the, the fighting on two fronts harm Connacht in the past. But for to show those young players like Henshaw that there's progress being made, I think that it, it, it's important that they are there next season, that they're playing against the best teams and trying to compete against the best teams because Connacht on their day, as I say, can do can, can compete against the best teams. I think beating, beating them enough to get out of pool in a restricted competition is probably too much of an ask at this stage. 
but to show progression under Lamb it would be important. Now Munster are up against Treviso at home one expects them to cruise through this but how much do Munster actually need to win the Pro 12 to regenerate, regenerate a bit of interest among their fans a question I never thought I'd ask about Munster I think they do I think Anthony Foley could, could very much do it or I think Tomlin Park could do it a semi-final um, and that's, they've got the easiest run in of all of the teams um, they have a tendency to slip up sometimes You know, they, they kind of go through two or three results and you kind of think they're okay and then they just produce a really bad performance but the, the, their run in is such that they should be able to see themselves home this, this, this should be five points against Treviso even though the Italian teams are showing a little bit more but you know they should be you know, it's down in Cork that they should be able to get their five points, put themselves in a strong position. I mean, they should be looking at 15 from the last... Well, Ulster is going to be difficult, but 14 points from the last three games to put themselves in a strong position as possible, get a home semi-final, which will be worth a lot of money to them, um, which would regenerate interest towards the end of a, a flagging season, um, and, and to go and win this competition, or at least get to a final, because they haven't done that in the last couple of years. They've had some disappointing league performances. Now, Anthony Foley kind of laughed off suggestions that Paul O'Connell will be moving to Toulon. It, 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 that doesn't mean it's it's not entirely possible. I mean, obviously, big clubs are going to want Paul O'Connell, and offers will always be there. But we shouldn't just rule it out completely. But whether it's now or after the World Cup, most likely, obviously, after the World Cup. I I I would think that he's he's possibly right to laugh it off. Not not it's a ridiculous proposition. I th- yeah. just think that Toulon have made an offer to Paul O'Connell. It's it's it, that's that's out there. But he, I don't think he has the interest to go. Mm. Um, this will be after the World Cup after the World Cup yeah, and, okay. and even possibly at the end of his contract in 2016 uh, I don't think he knows whether he's going to play next season at all um, I'd be leaning towards possibly not but you know I don't have that definitively but it just the noises coming out are that you know he may just see this as the perfect time to step mm-hmm. away obviously he's looking at Bucky's boat and Ali Williams performing at the level they're performing nearly, and they're nearly 40 and why wouldn't you go on? I mean, he was so good in the Six Nations. And personally, you know, the opportunity to go and live live in a kind of small village outside Toulon, overlooking the Côte d'Azur for a couple of years, to finish your rugby career, you know, at a club that wins things, yeah. it's hugely appealing. And I'm sure that, 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 that has turned his head. But the indications are that he that he won't go. That if he is to finish off in club in the club game, it'll be one last year at Munster, and he'll probably go at the end of that 2016 season. Uh, he has had a lot of injuries in his career, so I wonder if that if that's played part in the decision. But it does look unlikely at this stage that he would take that offer. One last one: Jamie Heaslip nominated for European Player of the Year. Just further underlines how important he is. He's been outstanding for for Leinster this season. Um, particularly in Europe, he he carried them through the pool stages at times. He was really, really, really strong. He had a great game in, in Toulon last year. He won't win this, I don't think, because it generally goes to the, a player from the winning team. And the final, I think the award is given out just very, very briefly after the final, which always has a massive impact. I mean, Stefan Armitage will probably put himself in the position again this year um, through his performance in the semi-final. And Yet the England final. won't call him up. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like you wonder, you wonder about how World Cup can, you know, what sort of state yeah. the game is in when the World Cup can take a place without one of its best players. And even know. Australia changed the rules to get get to yeah. Drew Mitchell back. It should be the World Cup should be the best rugby players in the world yeah. playing for their countries against each other. These these ridiculous little rules are, are kind of hampering what is what should be a great pro, pro, uh, a great, great product. Stefan Armitage in an, playing for England in England would give England a much better chance. And he's not, he's not going to be there. And I don't think that's, that's, that's wrong, you know. This is a Rewind Big Weekend special on News Talk and that was Irish independent rugby correspondent Rory O'Connor. Still to come, we look ahead to the Allianz League finals taking place in Croke Park across the weekend. But first, it's a Premier League and a vital clash between Arsenal and Chelsea at the Emirates on Sunday, which is live and exclusive on Off The Ball. Now, Chelsea, 10 points clear of Arsenal 
going into this game but it's important for Arsenal even outside of the title race because they want to stay ahead of United who are just one point behind them in third. Former Chelsea and Ireland defender Paddy Mulligan joins us to preview it. Paddy, Arsene Wenger hasn't beaten Jose Mourinho in his last 12 attempts. Why do you think that is? Not good enough. It's as simple as that. And the, the, the teams he's had, it's, quite, it's actually quite remarkable that he hasn't been able to garner one victory. But however, I mean, Arsenal in, in, in the last, uh, with, uh, playing against the Chelsea team managed by Mourinho, it's always, it, for any manager, it's very difficult to go on and, 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 and from Mourinho because he sets up his team so good. And I, and I, I can't see that changing on, on, uh, on Sunday either. Now, Arsenal played very, very well against City uh, at the start of the season, up in the Etihad. And, and went and won it. And they got very tight at the bank, very tight in midfield, and, and, and controlled things. Now, if they can do that, if they can manage to do that on Sunday uh, against Chelsea, but then they're in with a the show. I think if, if, they, if they go and play their normal attacking game against Chelsea, I think they could be in trouble. Because Chelsea will just invite them on and, and then just hit them on the break, and they're past masters of that. So I don't see Mourinho changing his style um, this Sunday. From the, from the game last weekend or from the game last April uh, against Liverpool when, when he scuppered whatever chance Liverpool had of winning a, a league title. Uh, so I, I see this has been a very cage about Chelsea will be thrilled with as well. Yes, they were trying like, to win the league um, probably uh, by next Wednesday at Leicester City, but they won't be too upset if they, if they don't get beat next, next Sunday. I expect that's the way that it'll probably go, that, that it will be a draw. But he sets his teams up uh, to get a draw and sometimes they, just like last weekend they eke out a 1-0 win so don't be surprised if that's the case so I, if, if, I, if I was a bet man I'd probably be going for the draw Now a lot of praise for Coquelin ahead of this game how much difference has he made to Arsenal and is it all down to the position he has been put in and his willingness to as some say sacrifice his game in a going forward sense or is it down to Wenger putting him there and building the team around that tactic and, and, and what Coquelin does yeah, well, Cochrane has done very, very well since he came in, and, and it's one of his first games, if not his first game, was against the aforementioned Man City game uh, back there, September, October, or thereabouts. Um, and he, he, he did very well. And it seemed that it was, he was the missing, the missing link at that stage because uh, it gave license for Cazorla to go and express himself and, 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 and the likes of Wilshire when he's fit and, and Ramsey. Um, but I, I think that he, he's vital, and if he can uh, stymie. Chelsea. Now, Chelsea probably don't have a strike by this Sunday. So, you know, Mourinho might very well do what he did about Man United a, a, a season or so back uh, when he played without a striker and hopefully, he'll be, in his case, he'll be getting, he'll be getting men forward. Um, now, that's, that's an awful lot easier said than done. So that's why I'd be more inclined to go for the draw. But Coquelin has been, has been a vital cog for Arsenal in that he, 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 he wins tackles, he wins the balls, and then he does a simple thing and he gives us the nearest player like the likes of Cazorla who can hit a 40-50 yard pass. So in, in, that, in that regard, he's doing his job very well. But Arsenal have got to be uh, very, very tight at the back because Mertesacker uh, and, and uh, Kuchelzny, to me, are, are still too walking disasters. They, they, they don't defend very well at all. Last uh, Monday on that, the Rewind, we talked about the importance of Hazard for Chelsea. What about Cesc Fabregas? We'll, we'll single him out ahead of this game because obviously it's a return to the Emirates and he had the option, apparently, of going back there or to Chelsea and he chose Chelsea. Chelsea, uh, and, and I would imagine, because he feels that he can, he, can, he had a better chance of winning, uh, winning titles uh, with Chelsea than he had at Arsenal. But that was that was his decision. He had a, he had, he had a few wonderful years at, at Arsenal. He, he is a magnificent player. I don't think he's hitting uh, the heights um, that, that he has hit in, in the past uh, this year with Chelsea. But then he's asked to play a slightly different role as well. He's not he's not the player with, with all the flair and imagination. Yes, he has all of that. 
but it's, it's been curtailed a bit, and he's asked to go and just uh, do the simple thing and do it well. But Fabregas is a fabulous player, I, I think, and and he could be he, he could be on Sunday be the the, the, the very difference between um, uh, the, the winning and, and, and losing of, of the game. And Cochrane uh, might very well get a job to go and do on Fabregas on Sunday. They might go and say, "You go and any time he is in your vicinity, you go and pick him up." How do you think this one will go? I think it'll be a draw. Nil all? Uh, um, no, probably uh, probably uh, probably one each. Okay. And if if there, if, there, if there was to be a winner, I, I think I'd nearly I'd nearly side with Chelsea. Everton take on Manchester United in the early game on Sunday. Both of these matches, by the way, live and exclusive on Off the Ball here on News Talk. It's a big game for Man United. They're only a point behind Arsenal, so yes. you know yes. they can still yes. catch them. They can still get second. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge game for Everton because Everton, you know, after having the highs of last season, are certainly a little bit down the depths now this season. And they need to, they need to turn things around. And they normally play well against Man United, as most teams do, because they, it, it, it's like a red right to a bull that when you see the red of Man United, when everybody wants to go and beat them. So, and it's a Goodison. And it hasn't been a happy hunting ground over the years um, for United. So don't be surprised with a, with a bit of a shock there. Yes, United uh, need, need to go and win it. And, and they're playing reasonably well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go overboard with it. They're playing reasonably well. Next season will be the, will be the test for United uh, as, as to what they can do. But they want to finish on a high. And um, they want to finish as high up the league as they possibly can uh, in the hope that, that Chelsea slip up along the way, which I don't, which I don't see happening at this uh, very late stage. But, I mean, they need to keep on winning. Everton needs to keep on winning. So I'd, I'd nearly side that it's going to be a smashing game but it's nearly side with United to just go on and, and maybe just get a, a, a 1-0 victory or, or maybe 2-1. Now tomorrow, that's Saturday, depending on when you're listening. Obviously, it's tomorrow if you're listening on Friday. It's today if you're listening on Saturday. Liverpool going to West Brom. Now, they're still in with the chance of reaching the top four. It depends on what Manchester City do against... Who are you talking about? West Brom or Liverpool? <laughs> <laughs> West Brom has I... a chance of reaching the top four, I think, than what Liverpool have. Well, Liverpool team that I've seen over the past month. Well, that's you know, the thing. Is it going to be the Liverpool? Medicals. Is it going to be the Liverpool team that we saw over the last couple of uh, months or weeks, I should say? Or do you think they can they can get back into form for this game at the Hawthorns? Well, they need to because again, uh, they, they, they've had a few uh, bad beatings there at the Hawthorns over the past few seasons, um, and they need to start, they need to start winning and winning quickly. Um, not just to get into the top four, but to give them to, to, to get the confidence back. Uh, for the last five or six games of the season, which to me is, is very, very important, and, and to try and entice people um, in, the, in the summer uh, that look at uh, other brand new uh, new players to come into into the into the club because and, and let them set down a marker that look we're ready we're ready to go. Right, we've had a bad season this season, but now we're setting up for next season, and we're gonna we're gonna be ready to go from August right the way through. So it's very, very important for Liverpool to go on with it. It's also very important for West Brom uh, to go on with it. They're smashing in last weekend against Crystal Palace. Now they need to follow that up again because they're two. They, you know, conceded uh, Palace have conceded seven goals in two games. So Tony Pulis would not be a happy man with that um, because he, he prides himself on, on getting teams organising and giving very, very little away. So um, again. Well, Liverpool, well, Liverpool have Coutinho, they've got Henderson, so will they have a little bit too much West Brom? Just maybe, maybe, but a very hesitant maybe, only because I'm a Liverpool fan. That's the only reason I'd, I'd be siding a little bit. Now, I'll do the next two in a batch of two. Southampton against Spurs. Southampton with a last chance to put themselves in the running for the Champions League with five games to go. They're hosting Spurs, and then at 5.30, Manchester City against the resurgent and the cup finalists, Aston Villa. 
Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them resurgent. I mean, they've, they've, they've won again. They won, you know. But they got, remember, they got, they got beaten at home the other week uh, by Swansea as well. And there's an awful lot of talk about uh, Jack Grealish, which is, which is to me, is totally media driven and way, way, way above um, station at this moment of time. Yes, he, he did quite well against Liverpool last Sunday. We got to look at the Liverpool team that was, that was that tried to perform last Sunday. They were, they were absolutely pathetic. And Jack Grealish uh, reveled in the space that he, that, he, that he was afforded. Will he get the same space at, as uh, at the Etihad against Man City? I doubt it very much. Uh, City came back well after after uh, the, the, the back at, at Old Trafford a few weeks back. Came back well to beat West Ham and, and beat them beat them quite easy. I watched it. Um, so I'd expect City to, to add to Villa's balls. And there, Villa are not out of the mire yet because they're on 32 points. And unless they start picking up points, they could be dragged very easily into it because there's some very interesting games this weekend. Burnley, Burnley play Leicester, and Sunderland have a, 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 a bit of bother as well. So um, I, I, I would go for City. I think the City have far too much class. Yeah, Villa only four Even points clear. They're not the... playing nearly as well as they, as, as they should have been playing this season, but yeah. they, they have that extra bit of class. Villa only four points clear at the relegation zone. Paddy, just before I let you go again, if you're listening on Friday, this game is on tonight. Dundalk taking on Cork City in the Airtricity yeah. League, a meeting of the top two. It's a mouth-watering tie, but do you think it'll be a good game? Well, I mean, they, they could cancel each other out very, very easy if we, if we call the last game of the season when the dog had to go and win it and, and, and I would not lose it anyway to go and win the league title up in, up in Oriel Park. And, and uh, I, enjoy, I, I, I personally enjoyed the particular game. I'm looking forward to the, to the game to go and see just uh, which, which, uh, which team will, 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 better, uh, will better the other. I, I would expect that the dog, at the very worst, will get a point out of it. Um, Cork, Cork are, a very, are an improving side. They did very, very well last season. A bit unlucky to lose it on the dark, you know, under Steve and Kenny, they've, they've been great. And Richie Tell gets a hat trick there the other night. And, and uh, you know, they are in flying form and they're, they're, unbeaten, they're unbeaten thus far this season. So I'd expect them, dark not to get beaten. Home advantage for Cork, huge, huge, huge advantage in a game of this nature. And I would, I would hope that it's a good game, but don't expect it to be open, free flowing type of football because it's winner take all here. And, and neither of these teams will want to lose. But uh, one has to lose. but um, it'll, it'll, it'll be a very very interesting game look forward to it this is a Rewind Big Weekend special on News Talk. That was Paddy Mulligan. Remember, you can contact us throughout the week on Monday, rewind.newstalk.com. Gaelic football now, and this weekend there's four Allianz League finals taking place over Saturday and Sunday. In Division 4 on Saturday, Longford meet Offaly, and in Division 3, it's Armagh against Fermanagh. Uh, all of these games, by the way, live on TG Cahar. On Sunday, it's the Division 2 decider between Roscommon and Down, before Dublin take on Cork in the main event. Before we analyse those matches, particularly the Division 1 and 2 finals, let's get the thoughts of Brian Cuthbert who spoke to 96FM Cork uh, but first Jim Gavin on what his side learned about Cork earlier in the season when they lost in Porky Rin they'll have learned how good Cork are uh, Cork had a very strong team out that day they've been kind of consistent with their team selections bar one or two two games where they've, they've tried some, some other players out with a good defensive structure that, that game um, they got a goal from a miss hit shot but uh, it was finished really really well from you know from one of their backs and it's something which we've we've seen throughout the, throughout their their campaign it's, it's not only Colm O'Neill and Brian Hurley doing the scoring their, their, their defensive unit are clipping them score not only points but goals as well so they've threats all over the field and, and such an experienced bench to come on as well so it's going to be a, a really really great game hopefully we get a get a big support we'll, we'll travel from Cork and, and, and the Dublin support will come out to, to, to cheer our boys on It has never done any harm to anybody to win it um, you know even you said the Cork team three or four years ago 
when they were in the National League there two in a row and you know I think that that, that, that actually stood them well later on in the championship and uh, certainly I've never heard Brian Cody giving out about winning the league you know um, so I, I think it, it's, it's, it's a case of you know we're in the final so obviously um, you know it's, it's a game that you're going to go after and um, you know we, we'd like to win the league absolutely but on record we'd like to win the league but you know if we don't we don't but we'd like to Messrs Cuthbert and Gavin there Carlo Kane is the GAA correspondent of the Irish Daily Star he joins us now Carl both teams very strong on defence but they're also quite good going forward so I'm honestly not sure whether or not I expect a good or a bad game uh, no, I think I think it has the makings of a good game. Um, I know at the start of the league, Dublin manager Jim Gavin said after uh, after Dublin lost in Cork, it was the most defensive Cork team that he had ever seen. But he rode back a bit in his comments at his press conference before this uh, this league final. But I just feel that um, the, the games that people have been giving out most of it this year were, say, the likes of um, Dublin against Derry, which was in Croke Park, Dublin Tyrone, which was in Croke Park as well. Um, the Dublin seemed to be having this thing where they sort of shut up shop um, at Crook Park. Obviously something they're trying out for the summer. Um, and obviously they, they were both against Ulster teams um, who set up quite defensively. Uh, Darian Trome with 13 men behind the ball. So um, I think that even though this is Crook Park again, it'll be a bit different because it's Cork. They won't probably set up with 13 men behind the ball. They certainly haven't been. They've been using maybe one sweeper, Colin O'Driscoll, possibly Mark Collins drifting back. So they won't set up as defensively, and Dublin won't need to set up as defensively against them in terms of getting themselves ready for the summer to possibly face Northern opposition. They'll fancy themselves in a shootout against Cork. They'll still be defensive, um, but the game will be a lot more open this Sunday than, say, the probably the Tyrone and the Derry matches. Now, Cork have been an oddity in a sense that they've got backs who get forward and score and forwards who get back and defend. Yeah, an oddity for Cork. I know uh Maybe not an oddity in the modern game. Um, it, it is interesting that, uh, like the scoring from the Cork backs this spring has been phenomenal. You've had four different defenders score goals. Um, I mean, usually it wouldn't be that unusual um, in this day and age of, let's say, they had half backs scoring in every game. A half back, um, Connor Dorman has been scoring a hell of a lot um, for wing back, and it's been a bit of a revelation for them. But that's a symptom of the counter-attacking type of game that, that Cork are playing, and it's nothing new. Like when. For example, when Tyrone came along, Enda McGinley uh, fulfilled that role playing full forwards, sweeping back for them when the halfbacks um, came forward again. But Cork seem to be really latching onto it this year, and it seems to be working for them. Um, certainly the, the ones they've got would suggest that. So it's something they're working on for the summer, something that could trouble Kerry potentially in the Munster Championship. So they'll just be looking to fine-tune that Sunday, and they'll be looking possibly um, maybe even a, a one- or two-point defeat. It wouldn't be a disaster for them, considering what happened them in the league semi-final last year when they were... Uh, I think they were uh, 10 up and ended up losing by 7. So um, that's, that's what, that'll be their goals this Sunday. Does that defeat and maybe the defeat against Kerry in the Munster final kind of dictate what Cork have done since or has it dictated what Cork have done since and how they have set up? Do you think those two losses have actually radically altered Brian Cuthbert's plan uh, and, and, and what he wants to do? And, and, and so far, that alteration seems to be working out great. Yeah, like uh, probably if we got back to the Mayo quarterfinal last year... Um, like the, they played very defensively that day. They played with a, a couple of extra defenders, and they used a sweeper. Um, and for they would argue for the first half they were well in the game. They got blown away after the break by Mayo, um, and the game was effectively over. But then when they switched to their more natural attacking style again, they nearly got back into it. Uh, Donegal Connor came off the bench. Um, they got rid of the, the both the sweepers. They took uh, the two boys off. Um, I think it was Colin O'Driscoll and Mark Collins that day. 
um, suddenly James Lockery powered into the game driving forward and Cork just went at it but they know that that's probably not good enough anymore um, they probably don't have the big massive physical athletes they had a few years ago your Pierce O'Neill's and uh, I suppose Potty Cassans and these type of players who you can go man to man with and try and overpower um, overpower individual footballers that you're marking so they need this string to their bow we saw elements of it against Mayo last year and they've been working on it more this year just in terms of game plans so I think we saw a bit of it last year, and we're seeing a full spring. They've had to work on it this year, so it's going to be very interesting. Um, assuming that they meet Kerry, which is probably a big enough assumption considering the way Tipperary football is going at the minute. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they get on, and this Sunday is going to be a great test of that. We'll concentrate on Dublin in just a moment, but when Paul Galvin came back for Kerry, we wondered, and maybe we're still wondering, exactly what his role will be. We're probably not wondering as much with regard to Alan O'Connor, who is back with Cork, but not for this game, not for the league final. Yeah, I'm surprised this move hasn't come before now. Um, it's, it's certainly something that you'd have felt Cork needed. Um, like Ian Maguire was shaping up very well at midfield for them, but he's uh, damaged the disc in his back. Um, he had a big Sigerson Cup this year. He had, he had some very big league games for them, uh, particularly good um, whenever they beat Dublin in round one. Um, but he still is only 20 years of age, and you can't be hanging your whole midfield on a 20-year-old. 20, a 20 like it, it takes four or five years at this level for a proper midfielder um, to develop. Um, so O'Connor was a strange one at the time whenever you had all the other retirements of six or seven of them when Brian Cuthbert came in a lot of them made sense in terms of the, you know they had their All-Ireland they were 33, 34 O'Connor was just 27 so um, I mean what is he probably 29 now he, like he was an animal of a footballer like he, like he just covers the ground he's a huge physical athlete um, he's given Kerry a lot of problems before in the Monster Championship. And when you see Cork playing on Cadigan at midfield, you, you see that you know they have, they have issues there in terms of actual natural natural midfielders. Even Fenton Gould, some people might say, is a half forward, but I think he's probably turned himself into a bona fide under county midfielder again. Maybe in the mould of Rory Cavanaugh's Donegal, he sort of would have been a half forward midfielder, but he's bulked up and grown into that role in midfield. But he needs probably needs a partner in there and. Um, I wouldn't be in the slightest bit surprised, um, depending on what shape O'Connor's and if, if he was the man in the Monster Championship this summer. Now, Jim Gavin has talked about the process in the league and, and working on the process. How is the process coming on and do you think he's kind of closer to his championship starting 15? He has tried out a, a few players in the league so far. Some of them have stood up, some of them have stood out, some not so much. Yeah, um, I suppose if... It's hard to know what I was trying to work this out for a piece I wrote in the Star last week. Like, what exactly is Gavin looking to do in, in this league campaign? And certainly, one of the areas of centre back is used three or four different players there. The likes of, I suppose, Keane O'Sullivan, John Small is the obvious one that has come in there. So he's he's probably looking at different types of centre back for uh, different styles of opponent. You know, maybe a Small seems to be more of a holding player. He doesn't seem to get up and down the pitch. He's used, for example, against Monaghan. He kind of used Small in a in a sweeping role, and then he used Philly McMahon, and uh, Philly went up and um, you know kicked a few points. He kicked, again kicked a few points um, in the league semi final as well the last day. So he's definitely looking at different types of players in that role. So he's the big thing I noticed from the Monaghan game was that um, he started with the sweeper, which was Small, and then after 20 minutes he pushed Johnny Cooper up the pitch onto Desi Moan, who was Monaghan sweeper. So Dublin effectively played with seven forwards for a spell. But um, in the second half, they went back to the sweeper again. So that's what I expect from Dublin this year. I expect them to maybe start out games. They'll decide whether to go at teams or not at the start of games. They'll shut up shop and sit back for a while. Then they'll go at you again. Then they might shut up shop again, which is what they didn't do, obviously, against Donegal. It's easy to set up with the benefit of hindsight now whenever they were, what, 9-4 up. 
Um, so I, I think that's what they're looking at, and I think that's what he wants to get out of the league, and that's maybe what he, what he has got out of it. Again, we're not sure whether or not he'll be involved on Sunday as a starter or as a sub, but Alan Brogan is back, and he's back to play a part. Michael Darren McCauley also... You know he's been eased back into the team. He's he's not at full pelt yet, but we've seen yeah. even in his cameos how important he is. Those two could be the keys, and those are two players who we haven't seen a whole pile of this year. I think there's little doubt that you know even though we weren't seeing McCauley earlier in the league, and I think he played for his club the weekend of the Cork game in the first round and didn't travel to Cork, so Gavin has been easing them back in. So it'll probably do McCauley with the type of attritional sort of game he plays and the amount of ground he covers and the, the hitting and tackling he does. I'd say this break will have done him. No harm whatsoever. Um, he'll be the mainstay of the Dublin midfield again this year, and it's just probably a question of who's going to be that uh, partner there with him. As for Alan Brogan, um, I, I found it surprising how long it took for a decision to be made and whether Brogan came back again or not. And maybe that's a luxury that you see in the counties like Dublin and Kerry, whereas maybe the smaller counties they want everybody in in October or November and training like hell and pulling in the one direction. But maybe these quality players, I suppose Marco Shea was the same in Kerry. They're given a bit more time. They're proven at this level, so. Suddenly I think Brogan has become very important to Dublin because that attack that looked so awesome last year just doesn't doesn't scare you so much now when you look at it on paper. Like Onogara is an absolutely massive loss to Dublin because he's a unique type of forward, not only for Dublin but possibly even in the country. He scares the life out of full-backs for me and he scares the life out of managers. And He's so physical. If you don't have a physical enough defender to mark him, then you're in bother. He can unhinge your whole defence. So he like he's a massive loss and that'll be proven this summer. Paul Mannion's in China. He looked like going to be one of the best young players in the country for a while there so we're waiting for Bernard Brogan to really you know really catch fire this year as well you have Dermot Connolly just coming back into it there well man marked the last day by Vinnie Corey for Monaghan Does this make Dean Rock all the more important and has he stepped yeah. up enough in your view? Yeah Rock is I was just probably just getting around to Rock there like um yeah, it's interesting that he's hitting all the frees. Maybe Gavin feels that that gives him confidence. He's delivered at the end of some uh, big league games this year, which has been a good sign for him. You know, when the games have been in the melting pot, I'm thinking, I suppose, particularly the goal against Tyrone. He, he really delivered. Uh, he really delivered there. Um, so um, I think he has stepped up, but I'm just, I'm not sure. I'll just maybe, I would just maybe hold back just in terms of sort of bigging him up too much until it comes to the summer. Like he was very good. What did he hit two points in every game off the bench? Um, in the championship last year and maybe that ultimately might be his role I don't see him as uh, a forward who really takes on as man which you know Dublin and Kerry that's the type of forwards they tend to go for and the top teams have if you have six forwards that can take on their man you're going to be a very hard attack to stop so um, his free taking is obviously a great strength to his bow and he has great vision as well his long range point taking against mass defences might be crucial as well so he certainly has a, has a big role to play this summer for Dublin Carl, what's your prediction? And I know there's a massive caveat because we don't know exactly how hard these teams have trained. We don't know exactly how much stock they're putting in this final. We don't know exactly, uh, you know, a lot of things. So, uh, you know, we won't hold you to it too much, but tradition dictates we need a, a prediction of some sort. Um, I, I just say Dublin. I, I just think I think they're going to be a little bit too strong. Um, I would feel that Will Cork have a few more scoring options now in terms of the half-back score and, and Fenton Gould has been kicking some points from the middle of the park. Dublin will maybe be taking a look this time at shutting down Hurley and O'Neill, who uh, Brian Hurley and Colm O'Neill, who totally destroyed them in the first half of last year's league semi-final. So they'll be wiser to that. It'll be interesting to see if they use a sweeper against them, and if that sweeper goes well, I could see Dublin just stopping Cork scoring so much, and then maybe just being able to get the scores at the other end themselves. Yeah, if those two get going, it could be quite alarming for uh, Dublin. Yeah. What yeah. about the Division Two final down against Ross Common? Ross Common building on the promise of the last couple of years on on what they've done in the under-21 grade and even some positive years 
at senior grade as well. I mean, they could have beaten Mayo last year in the Connacht Championship. Yeah, um, I think didn't John Evans say at the start of the league that you know he didn't want Division One football next year? Will Will they have it at this stage? And uh, Division Two has been just so up and down and so unpredictable. Like that, it's down in Ross Common. I mean, it could easily have been Meath maybe in that final. There were three or four teams at the top that were quite close to making it. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. One of the interesting factors about this game is that uh, like with all the defensive football going on, uh, down down manager Jim McCurry has been using two forwards as wing backs. So it'll be very interesting to see how that works in Crook Park. He's been using Paul Devlin from the Kilcoo Club, who he managed in Ulster final, and he's been using. Um, Connor McGinn, who's more recognised as a wing forward, so it'll be interesting to see how that works in Croke Park um, tactically and how that goes. So, um, Ross Common, we know, have plenty of brilliant young forwards coming up, like Dermot Dermot Murda being the standout one. Um, they also have, I suppose, the likes of Cal Craig in good form. Uh, Simon Kilbride is, has, has been an outstanding forward for them and is an outstanding forward. So, like, they have serious attacking options. They just have to get the balance right. And I always think with Ross Common, it's all about belief, confidence and a bit of momentum. Irish Daily Star GA correspondent Carlo Kane, thanks for joining us. Well, this was the Rewind Big Weekend special on News Talk. If you're going along to Crow Park to any of the finals over the weekend, I hope you enjoyed them. Remember to join us on Monday for the Monday Rewind. We look back on all of those matches and we look ahead to next week's hurling decider between Waterford and Cork. We'll also preview tip against Tyrone in the Airgrid All-Ireland Under-21 final and we'll sift through the Premier League and Rugby Weekend's Leinster taking on Ulster on Friday night. It's a huge encounter and on Sunday it's Arsenal against Chelsea. That should be a good one as well. Remember, it's live and exclusive on Off The Ball. Until next Monday, take care.